Hi and welcome to another episode of that podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Bo. And it's just the two of us this week. Um, it feels like, I say this week, this time, it feels like we've had a flurry of uh, interview episodes without really getting, I, I say flurry, um, I don't know I don't know if our frequency could be quite be described as a flurry, <laughs> but um, just, it's nice to just have me and you here where we don't have anything particularly planned to discuss, so we're just going to do a bit of catch up. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Beck's been listening to some of our old episodes um, on some of her drives to go see uh, family this this summer so far, and she's like, "I miss you guys. Like, I miss you too." Um, so I think I think it is good for us to get back to sort of our roots. Um, I, I enjoy the guests a lot, but it is going to be good just to have you and I catch up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, what have you been up to? Yeah, so I've recently got a new contract, so that's been keeping me pretty busy. Um, I've been kind of thrown into the lion's den, if you will, uh, with Laravel in view. Um, I've used both of these in the past uh, to varying, uh, I guess, depth, uh, but I'm definitely deep in it now, uh, finding, starting to find some fun edge cases and stuff that just makes me shake my head and it's like i'm i'm not a laravel hater that's not what this is about um because you know there's a lot of people who will just jump on that but there there are warts and bumps and bruises in different places or just things that for as much as i hear about uh, laravel sort of being um all about user experience or uh, developer experience if you will there have been a lot of things that i've run into that just do not make sense out of the box that do not click with me. Uh, how much have you used Laravel recently? Uh, uh, or? Very little, really. Um, I'm familiar with quite a lot of it. Um, I use it for inspiration for because, you know, I'm still on the no framework type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, quite often I have to implement things. And as I'd say that usually I feel more comfortable implementing the the tiny fraction of some other f- component or some open source library that's out there myself um so i'll go and look to see what other people are doing um and then build the same thing myself yeah um, so i I've, I've worked more i've looked around the laravel code base uh, a fair bit but never actually really used it as a with any kind of uh, rigor yeah i know we've talked about in the past that sometimes like the difference, yeah, it's, it's good to be framework agnostic. If that's what you want to be. It's good to be in a framework if you want to be. Um, I like trying to like walk that line between following conventions, following things that aren't going to make my life a pain using a framework, uh, but also trying to do what I can to make it mine. Um, and so in, in the past, I've sort of, I feel like I've fought eloquent a little too much uh, to try and make it be what it's not. And uh, this time I'm trying to sort of like go all in on Eloquent in terms of... Embrace it. Just Yeah, embrace it. Just sort of use it how it's meant to be used. Um, and in, in that, I'm finding all sorts of um, assumptions that I've made are wrong. Uh, one of the biggest of which is um, that if you end up doing... If you end up doing certain types of joins with, with Eloquent... Uh, you have to explicitly say that you want to only get the fields for the model that you're looking for. So you have to explicitly put a select method call with model name plural dot star. And from the feedback I've seen on Twitter, um, I feel like people think I'm just like 
kooky dukes for thinking any other anything else. It's like, why would you imagine you could do all these joins and, and not get these other fields? It's just like SQL. <laughs> Except it's not just like SQL if you don't do joins. <laughs> you don't have to do that. You don't have to worry about that. And there's just this implied understanding that behind the scenes, if you do model name colon colon where, um, that it gives you back an eloquent object or uh, a model object, an instance with everything filled in correctly. And in fact, if you do model name colon colon with, and then a relationship, that if you do that and you don't do the join yourself actually gives you your model instance with the relationship filled in. So to me, it just seems natural that if I join against another table and I've told eloquent with the query builder that I'm joining this other table, that it would resolve that, but it doesn't. And that I that would that really put me in a weird place for a little while. I understand what's going on. And when I looked at the actual SQL queries that are being generated, if you do the with, um, I thought I thought that it was actually doing one big SQL query uh, when it's not. If you do with, it's still doing one SQL query per relationship. So you're not doing n plus one, but you're doing a number of models, um, or well, your model plus the number of relationships, not for each row. Um, so little things like that, though, like until I understood what was actually going on behind the scenes, it it was not working for me as intended. Uh, so that, that was a little little weird to see the, the, the amount of feedback I got that was essentially, why would you even think that? <laughs> um, the, the other problem that I, I'm continuing to have is the camel, camel case or the camel caps versus snake case and when to use it. Um, and be, especially with eloquent objects, um, if you're accessing the object directly, or if you're accessing the, the fields directly, uh, you do the underscore. It's the same as the column name, which is great. But if you do relationships, if you actually want the relationship object, you have to do camel case. Right, okay. But you don't know that because all of the examples that you see are relationships to things like post or users or uh, comments where there's no indication at all that dollar model uh, arrow post is because that should have been, you know, if it was actually related posts, it should have been related with a capital P posts versus related underscore posts. So I, I, I went like probably two weeks without running into that. And then all of a sudden, one of my relationships just wasn't working. And I'm like, what's going on? This thing is empty. I'm getting all this weird errors that don't make any sense. And <laughs> uh, so there's this magic all around. Um, but then when, when you can't get the magic working or you don't understand how the magic works, you're told, well, there's no magic there. It's just like SQL. <laughs> and it's, it's been, uh, it's been an interesting experience having actually been on the ground and working in it, you know, full time for weeks at a time. Now, uh, you've seen some of my, my questions or my, my, my gotchas and yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a fun thing to run into problems again to try to solve. Uh, I, which is odd because Symphony generally, because uh, I've been doing a lot of Symphony in the last year again. I feel like there's some DX stuff there that's almost better than Laravel at this point. Um, there's a lot, even at like the the scaffolding, like the the Maker Bundle 
with with Symphony Four with Flex, it either does the right thing that that like it matches my expectation out of the box, or it gives me an error that tells me what was wrong. Um, whereas Laravel, uh, same sort of thing. Like I don't know when I say make a controller, am I supposed to put the controller suffix in it? Uh, if I make a model, am I supposed to specify the database name? So put underscores in, or am I supposed to specify the the class name of the model, and then it's going to reverse engineer that and figure out what the you know it should be underscores and all of that. Um, I mean, I've actually used the the Laravel uh, scaffolding to generate class names with dashes in them, <laughs> just because I wasn't sure what was going on, and then I, I type it in and I look. I'm like, why does that class name have a dash? Uh, because I had done like, so I mean, I probably shouldn't have done that anyway. Because if it was going to be a table name, I don't remember what I was trying to generate. All I know is I ended up with a class name that had dashes in it. I'm like, ah. yeah, <laughs> something, something weird's going on here. No, I, I know that feeling. I mean, I've again, by being in my no framework, I have my own generators. I call them generators, my own makers, whatever. Um, and at some point, I had the ability to say for like a, a command uh, with. I added realty to have the class. You had the class name, and then you were going to be further arguments on the command line were going to be the constructor properties. And at some point, I did the ability to type those. Mm-hmm. And no matter what I do, I always do it the wrong way around. So I'll, if it's if it's supposed to be variable name colon type, I'll do type colon variable name. <laughs> and there's yeah. no checking, you know, because this is my own stuff that I just threw together. Yeah. So then I end up with class names that, um, and I have um, I have a watch, watchman running in the background to uh, make things like doctrine proxies, uh, you know, um, to generate those when any PHP classes, relevant PHP classes, change. Mm-hmm. So I know I've done it wrong because as soon as I've as soon as that class that class that file hits the file system, something watching parsing <laughs> spits out errors in the uh, in a yeah. notification style thing pop-up thing so but yeah i I know what you mean um it's um i I was speaking to someone about this some time ago they were trying to get to groups with doctrine coming from a laravel background Mm -hmm. and they did something that i knew was a bit of a gotcha it's something to do with uh adding i think it was adding something to a a doctrine collection so it's adding something to a relationship um and they sort of like once I'd explained, I actually think they discovered themselves the, what they needed to do. They were just complaining to me about it, <laughs> and I to counter that, I'd, I'd literally the week before done something with Eloquent, and I just because I I was fairly removed from the active record at that time, sort of way of working, and I I was trying to create an object. And as part of that creation project, I was trying to create several sub-objects and add them as a one-to-many. And in the loop for adding the sub-objects, I was trying to save the sub-objects, but I hadn't Mm -hmm. saved the The parent. parent. Um, And the the Laravel at the time, whenever this was, did not surface that very clearly to me at all. And it was just, but it was so hard. I just couldn't get my head around what the problem was. But I just, you know, it was obvious in the end. But because I was that far removed from working like that, it was very different. Um, yeah, so, you know, and it. But so maybe you just maybe it's just a little bit of a bumpy ride now, and you might find that the number of these sort of things dries up. Um, 
And then you'll be the one who's saying, why would you even expect that to happen? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I, I definitely don't want to give anyone the impression that I think, you know, Laravel's bad or the community's, you know, not paying attention or whatever. It, It actually being in it has been an experience for me that I hadn't really expected. Um, there, there are, there's a lot of assumptions, like, like you're saying, like you haven't done a lot with Eloquent. Like just seeing what I've seen in the past and the little bits I've done with it, I thought it worked a certain way. And now I've sort of been shown that's not it <laughs> at all. Uh, I mean, it, it also means that there's going to be some things down the line that are going to be more flexible than I thought they would have been. Um, but at the same time, I'm, I'm looking at it thinking, I wish that I had a little bit more smartness when it comes to the relationships, like you can specify any relationships you want in DQL, uh, the uh, doctrine query language, for example, and it just works it out and it makes one nice big SQL query for you. Um, and that's just not the case. So I, I've had to relearn uh, relational database management, everything, uh, because working with active record is just way different than thinking about things in terms of just just the data. You have to actually think about relationships in different ways. Yeah, it's been it's been fun. Uh, the other, uh, something uh, similar to what you just talked about uh, with not saving the parent, I ran into that in a, a way that I'd forgotten about um, because I wasn't doing it that way and it took me forever to figure out what the problem was. Um, I was actually dispatching commands inside a command handler. So I was creating like the, say it was a a, um, handler for create user. And so I was creating the user object. um, And then I was uh, parsing through the the roles that the user had. Hmm. And then I was dispatching the grant role to the user I just created. Um, And Oh, actually, uh, was import. So I was importing user. So the first thing I did was dispatch the the user, create user command. And then I was dispatching for each of the roles to grant those roles. And I was getting these weird errors because the, um, uh, the second set of commands were coming back with uh, foreign key failures. And it wasn't until... Um, I dug really deep for a really long time that I realized I had a, a, a this tactician's locking command middleware. So it wasn't actually dispatching the commands real time. Uh, it was dispatching them. Like if you, dis- if you dispatch a command in the process of, of handling a command, it doesn't it do it. after. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't actually do it right then and there. Uh, so, I was actually referring to things that hadn't actually been persisted when I thought they had been, um, which was really difficult to figure out. And so that wasn't Laravel's problem at all. Um, so I had to refactor things a little bit uh, to get that to work. But yeah, those sorts of gotchas in, especially in the new system where you're not sure, it, is it eloquent that's the problem here? Mm-hmm. Like, did I do something wrong with eloquent? Did I, am I using tactician wrong? Is that something completely unrelated? Um, anytime that, that I've jumped into something new. There's always been little gotchas like this that make you wonder, am I not a good developer? <laughs> Why am I not getting yeah. this stuff right away? So, so um, 
going off the topic of uh, programming for a minute, one of the, <laughs> I've uh, taken a bit of an interest in uh, woodworking. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So you know, obviously, I moved house in February, and I might mention on the podcast before. For a long time, I've needed a new desk in my. I need new lot of stuff in my office, to be honest. But I kind of been putting it off because I wanted to get the new place, get a feel for it, see what I want to do. Um, so I started looking at um, sit stand desks. And I found that quite a lot of them sort of will sell the sort of like the the mechanism, the legs and the mechanism independently of the uh, desktop. Mm-hmm. I thought that's cool. Um, I thought what I might do is get the legs to start with and sort of butcher my existing desk to, to, to get going and then decide what I want to do. Um, and in the process of looking, I put a tweet out actually and a few people responded. Um, John C. Bear, from, uh, who organizes Laravel UK, he got, he got me some good feedback. And I was looking at the reviews, for I think, for the one-on-one, one of the ones he recommended, so the mechanisms this is. And one of them said they made their own butcher's block desktop for it. And I thought, that sounds cool. And I thought, it'd be nice to make my own desktop. So I started like watching videos on how to make like a butcher's block. Uh, most of them are kitchen units. They, you know, they make it for the kitchen. And I actually found it quite interesting just from the that, that point of view. And I kind of quickly, very quickly forgot about my desk um, and started thinking about making, you know, an actual butcher's block, like a chopping board size one. Um, mm-hmm. And I watched a few videos and watched people doing that. And I was like, yeah, I quite fancy having a go at that. Um, so originally the plan was to make one for my brother's birthday. This was back in May. Um, unfortunately, um, I went to... Um, a timber merchant in the city. So this timber merchant is at the top of my grandma's street and my granddad used, my granddad was a joiner and he used to make things like, and he used to go there. Um, but they said that they've pretty much stopped selling hardwood now. Um, and it's better to make a chopping board out of hardwood. Um, he said, it's just, people just don't want to buy it and it's expensive. So, so I ordered some on online and, uh, it's quite expensive stuff, the hardwood. Um, and so I shopped around a bit, picked somewhere. They said that they were moving premises and some orders may be delayed. Um, and I expected like, you know, a few days when, when I read that. <laughs> so I ordered anyway. And it eventually got dispatched about three weeks later. Um, so I'd missed my brother's birthday <laughs> <laughs> by quite some time. But I, mean, I made it anyway. Um, it wasn't brilliant. Um, so it was an edge, edge grain, like butcher's block style chopping board. Um, so I glued it, I, I cut them down to size, glued it all up with, now I bought some tools, um, but ideally you need some sort of bigger tools, you know, like, like machinery style tools for this kind of thing mm-hmm. to do it really nicely or easily at least. Um, but the, the finish was pretty good. I think, um, I, I finished it with some uh, mineral oil, which brought it real nice. I branded it. Uh, I paid like, I think about 40 quid on Etsy to get my, uh, you know, I trade under ATST solutions. Yeah. Um, so I've got a little vectorized picture of an ATST as my logo. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I now have it as a branding iron. Uh, so I can stick that in a fire or put it under a blowtorch and I can put my maker's mark on things. Um, so I've made that cutting board for my brother. Um, I've recently finished making a uh, sawhorse. You, you know what I mean by sawhorse? Mm-hmm. Uh, I need to make another one to go with it. But um, but even that yeah, was, you know, one it, doesn't re- one isn't really useful by itself. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I have a, a like a a, work, a portable workbench. With, uh, okay. Uh, so I, I made it the same height as that. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> which uh, which I was quite pleased with anyway as well because just. 
you know, because it, it, it's easy to forget sort of like the amount of trigonometry and things you need for <laughs> these kinds of things, you know, because you, yeah. you, you're cutting the wood at an angle, 22.5 degree angle, so it stands right. Mm-hmm. So then actually working out how long you want those legs to be to get the height <laughs> that you want changes, yeah. you know, and things like that. Um, uh, and I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying, I'm watching loads of YouTube videos from people. Uh, there's one in particular, see if I, I'll just have to look him up. Cause I, I know his sort of channel name, but I forget his name, Steve Ramsey woodworking for mere mortals. Um, he's got, I mean, he's quite big on YouTube. He's got, must have, probably hundreds of thousands of subscribers yeah oh, 1.1 million subscribers um his videos are really nice uh quite well explained and most of the videos come with free like uh, plans for the projects and a decent description of the the materials and the tools and things like mm-hmm. that um so yeah um i need to finish up making the sawhorse uh, i want to make a mallet uh like a woodworker's mallet uh and rowan would like to help me with that so that's kind of cool because he wants to make thor's hammer of course yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> which might be a little bit too advanced for me uh, but and i'm i've started looking on um gumtree and ebay for sort of secondhand machinery i'd like a table saw because it makes things a lot easier yeah uh, the problem is you can Pick, I could probably find one fairly cheap, but the other thing is finding somewhere to put it in the garage. I don't have that much room. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of cool. So I'm, uh, it's nice to have a little bit of a... I found it nice because I'm doing it on my own. So it's a little... I go in the garage as well, you know, so it's just get out of the house a little bit. Cause for someone who works from home full-time, getting out of the house could be quite nice. You know, mm-hmm. I, I go for walks. I walk the dog. I play I play sports. I'm playing hockey again. Play occasionally play golf, things like that. But this is just for me. I do it at my own pace. I'm creating things. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of, kind of nice. Something different. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Last year we got some, we started to get more, uh, tools, not necessarily all woodworking, but, um, yeah, being able to start working on some of that stuff is definitely nice where we're needing to create some, um, some stands and some ways to present Beck's art at craft fairs. And we've, tr- we've tried a bunch of different things over the last couple of years, uh, but she has a project for me now <laughs> to try and uh, sort of rebuild something that we've had before. Uh, we just want to do it a little bit differently. So um, we're going to need to make a, a trip to Home Depot one of these days to uh, get some wood um, and then also try to do some planning to figure out how to actually transport it. Um, because that's the other thing is how much room do these things take up? Uh, we have a, uh, a Honda Odyssey van, uh, which has plenty of room, but the things that we have now, they're sort of freestanding. So um, take like an old wooden door as an example, like uh, she painted it. Uh, all a certain color and like textured it. So it looked really nice. Um, and then we actually just screwed um, ah, like a shelf mm-hmm. hanger, like a, like an L shaped shelf hanger on the bottom. So that, yeah, a bracket. So on both sides so that it can, it's sturdy enough that it just stands there. Great. It's like, it's, it's safe. Everything works great. The problem is that there's a foot, on either side of this thing, just on the end that it makes it really hard to put two of them back t- 
to back. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so like we can't really take more than two or three of these things at a time. So, uh, I want to make them removable. I want to have some sort of way to stand them up so that it's removable. So that's, that's my next project for Beck that sort of deals with, uh, sort of like DIY woodworking stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, say it's just, I've done, I do a lot of DIY and I do, I'll have a go at most things. Um, but it's a bit different between usually I end up fixing things, uh, Mm -hmm. fixing things, is satisfying but actually it's kind of nice to make things and give people things i don't really get that opportunity to do much you know yeah uh, so yeah i could say i'm I, i'm almost making wish lists of tools that i'd like and and then some of the tools can be really expensive um and things like i didn't realize um like um vintage planes and things like that there's some people who really like to get their hands on these old planes and it's kind of nice, and you see a lot. You see a bit different styles in the videos as well. You see a lot of people who like to use more hand tools, and they the get a pleasure from using the hand tools versus people who they might appreciate the hand tools, but you know if they've got a lot of pieces to make. And yeah, um, and one of the things I've seen that I've not really seen before until I started looking. I probably just I probably have seen it but not noticed. But it seems maybe a bit trending at the minute to use a uh, resin for things. So they're using using wood, and then. Maybe you like get two like to make a table. They'll get two pieces of wainy edged wood, mm-hmm. uh, and they'll put them to make a tabletop with a big gap in the middle, and then they fill that gap with some sort of resin, like coloured resins, and some of them look yeah. really nice. I, it's kind of cool. Um, a bit too advanced for me for the time being, but uh, yeah. So yeah, that's awesome. I, yeah, I'll, I'll see if I can. When I get a bit better, I'll probably post some pictures on, on my Instagram or something. Cause, uh, to be honest, I um I was that ex- with the uh, with the chopping board I made for my brother. I was that excited to give it to him. I didn't I didn't I didn't I didn't think to take a pic- like a proper picture of the finished product. You know. Oh, I was gonna say we need to get that up on the the episode. Yeah, cover. I've I've got a picture, but it's kind of like it's not a very good one. It's in my garage and it's dark and you know like <laughs> uh, it's not very well presented for yeah. an, an Instagram marketer would not be pleased to have. Yeah. That. How about about for like a a podcast cover photo? Yeah, that's it. (laughs) It's not good enough for that. Well, it might be. We'll see. All right. Well, uh, find some awesome wood and use your new brand. And that can be uh, just just get us a brand with some nice wood behind it. Yeah. We'll We'll use that. Hang on. Let me see if I see if I can send it to you now so you can see what we're talking about. Uh, The brand itself took me ages to faff about with just trying to get it. like, because it's, I'd never used, I'd, I did loads of practices with the brand because obviously I've made this chopping board, really pleased right. with it. And I must have branded like scraps of wood like 20 times. <laughs> and yeah. I swear the one I actually put on the board was the worst one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, the brand that you, you got it on Etsy, right? Yes. Did, did you just get like the end or did it come with like the handle and everything? Oh, no, I, met, I, I refused to buy the handle. Okay. The Yorkshireman in me kicked in. I was spending forty pounds on this brand anyway, um, but they wanted like twenty four quid for the handle, and all it was is like a, uh, oh God, I can't remember. But isn't it? It's like a threaded pipe, basically. Yeah. I don't, there's a particular name for them. Hang on, I'm trying to uh, trying to remember what it is. Basically, um, metal bar with a thread at one end. Yeah. Uh, and a wooden handle at the other end. 
Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, well, I don't really want to pay 24 quid for that. Yeah, threaded rod is what it, that was called. Like steel <laughs> threaded rod. Yeah. Okay. So I paid four quid for a 300 millimeter M8 steel threaded rod that came with lock nuts <laughs> and washers for four pounds yeah. and just chopped the end off a broom handle and so made my own handle <laughs> um, being a complete cheapskate. Uh, so how, how did, did you like heat it up with a blowtorch or? Um, I tried with the blowtorch. Uh, I've seen people do I have no idea how you would do this. Like, yeah, for I, mean, me, I mean, so you can actually buy a soldering iron hand style handle for them. Right. For more money. That's what, that's, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. But so if, you can if, plug if, it into the mains and then it would yeah. heat up. Uh, but um, I tried with a, the little blowtorch I have, but it's, it's, it's pathetic. It's for, um, it's really for cooking. So doing things like creme brulee yeah. and, um, yeah. So just didn't get up to temperature. So I actually uh, stuck it on our barbecue, uh, a grill, as you'd call it. So I, d- I just waited until uh, we were cooking some food. So I, was, I got the grill super hot um, and uh, it, it worked fine then. Well, I say it worked fine. It, it did. It wasn't the one time I, I did it for real. wasn't as good as most of my practices. But um, I'm just trying to find the. I'm sorry, I'm... The one place I looked for it was uh, WhatsApp because I knew I sent it to my friend, but the you know, WhatsApp the image server's down, isn't it? So, uh, yes, that's a, yeah, it's yeah, been but, a bad week for online services. Yeah, it has hasn't it? Uh, Cloudflare have been having some issues, haven't they? And uh, yeah, I think that uh, WhatsApp, Facebook, and Instagram are all down right now. Right, yeah. Well, I can get on WhatsApp. I just can't see any images. Uh, yeah. So well, after the, the media, the, the the media microservice is yeah. down. Yeah. So uh, I'll have to send you that uh, some Sounds other time. Good. Yeah. Cool. So that's pretty cool. Um, what else was I? There was something else I was going to talk about. Um, We've been busy with some text stuff, sort of. Oh, the domain so stuff this week. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, I'm sure some listeners will know I've been in the involved in the domaining scene for quite a while, mostly in the UK side of things. And this week's been a really interesting week because about five years ago, Nominate, uh, who run the sort of UK domain namespace, they decided to release the they decided to release domain names on the .uk top level domain. Previously, we'd only been able to register domains like. Uh, ATST solutions.co.uk, .org.uk, .me.uk. Uh, but they decided to release all of these previously unavailable domains. And the way they did it, they did it was to give people who owned the .co.uk, or in some cases the .org.uk, some cases .me.uk, uh, domain names, uh, the right of registration to the bare TLD of the same name. So if I owned ATST solutions.co.uk, I would have the rights to register atstsolutions.uk. And um, a lot of people didn't really welcome it. I must admit, I do prefer the look of the top-level domain. I think it looks great compared to the .co.uk. However, it is confusing for people. It does create instances where it's something else to manage because there are separate entities. So once you have taken up your rights to register the .uk version, you have to renew it 
Uh, chances are it's a renewal date that's different to your .co.uk version. Um, and we've seen plenty of people who took up their rights to the .uk and then they've either forgot about it or just changed their mind. And the .uk version is expires and then gets re-released to the public and someone else picks it up and things like that. Anyway, five years on, the time allowed for you to exercise your right expired at the end uh, about a week ago, or two weeks ago now, 25th of June. So what happened was we were left with, I think, 2 million roughly .uk domains where the .co.uk or whatever .org.uk hadn't taken up their rights. There are some valuable domains there, some really good ones like um, today HR.uk, as in human resources, HR, was basically released to um, a certain few people who uh, have opted to be part of this release and written software to to try and get involved. Uh, and I've been trying to get involved, but I've had a bit of a torrid time with it this week. My software let me down on Monday and Tuesday, and today my software worked well, but I just didn't think I had any luck, and I came home with nothing. So uh, on Monday I did grab babysitters.uk, which is a nice name for the business. Um, keeps it off any keeps it out of anybody else's hands. So that's good. Uh, I'm just hoping to do a little bit better tomorrow and Friday. So they've been doing it sort of uh, on Monday was domains beginning with zero to nine, A to B. Today was, I think, G through M. And then tomorrow is N through S. So I'll be scouring the lists of domains. So some 400,000 domains becoming available tomorrow. Most of them are garbage, but there are a few nice ones in there. Uh, and yeah, so trying to pick them up, uh, make a bit of money, uh, protect our business in some ways. Uh, for example, on Friday, uh, tutors.uk, and, and we have people, a few customers of ours are tutors. We, it, it kind of nice little adjacent thing to the childcare side. So if we can pick that up, it's uh, it's nice for us uh, to keep it out of other people's hands. So yeah, uh, we'll just have to see though. It's been nice. It's it's kind of fun. It's this. And the way it works is that every day at 2 p.m. they release all of the domains in a batch. So at 2 p.m., 400,000 domains become available. And there's probably, I think, realistically, there's probably 100 to 150 organizations or entities trying to get hold of the best domains, um, you know, ranging from the small independents like me to GoDaddy, uh, web.com, some of the big, like, uh, one, uh, one, two, three, you're edge part of GoDaddy now. It might be, I can't remember. But, you know, um, so they've got they've got big systems, they've got heavy servers, they've got more money because the more money you have, the the more um, quota you get from Nominate, the more requests you're allowed, if you like. Um, but it only takes one to register a domain. So if you get it in quick enough, you know, we're all trying to get our server, our time set, the time on our servers synced with NTP sources as best we can. Cause, and then there's a gamble, you know, if the domains get released at two o'clock um, and you've got uh, 1.5 milliseconds of network latency between you and the server, um, when do you, 
we don't know anything about their internals. You'd assume they're going to have some sort of message queue. Load balancers, message queue. Do you send three milliseconds before 2 p.m.? Do you send, do you assume that because there's load balancers involved and possibly multiple message queues that you should send, say, 10 requests for a name that's very popular So and hope that one of yours gets through because the likelihood that the first one that lands is the one that actually makes it. You don't know. So, right. Yeah, and if you do, t- if you do 10 for one, then that means that if you get it, that means there's nine requests that could have gone for another domain. That's right. Yeah. Because everyone's got a quota for the, it's per minute. So for work, we have 75 requests per minute, which is the second highest tier. The highest is 150. So people like GoDaddy will have 150, but they'll also have 150 on several tags. So because they've acquired various registrars over the year, they'll be able to use that across the board on all of theirs. Right. So, yeah, you've got that thing. You know, some people are going for a spread and shred, you know, 75 requests on 75 different domains. Some people will be thinking, well, these are the top five. I'll put everything at those five. Uh, Who knows? It's, uh, it's, It's really weird because I think we've had three weeks we were available for using the test bed. And I felt like I was running tests every day and tweaking things. And then it seems as soon as the test bed was unavailable, I thought of a million things I wanted to try, (laughs) you know? uh, (laughs) Yeah. And I have tried a couple of things, but I'm having to try it live on, you know, I've only got two more days to go. uh, So hopefully I'll get some decent names, but (laughs) we'll see. Cool. Well, we should get a report from you. Uh, at some point of what you actually accomplished yeah. this season. Well, I mean, in terms of actual money invested, we've only paid for dedicated servers in my time. Uh, a lot of the code, the basic code I had available, you know, generating the correct XML payloads to send, you know, I've, I've, I had all that available. Um, it's just a bit of sort of daily tweaking of things and running things. Um, and the other interesting thing is for all I have 75 requests, to make in that first minute, uh, you're only allowed six connections mm. to the server. So even though you've got, even somebody with six still has a good chance because does that make sense? You don't know because you'd assume given you've only got six connections that even if you've got 75, you've got to send 12 in uh, one after the other on each connection. So that 12th one starting to get a little bit far behind in the queue. So maybe then you should just be going for the slightly more obscure stuff, you know, the long, longer tail, things like that. So yeah, two days to go and we'll just see how it goes. I'm not getting my hopes up too much. Uh, Chances are, because I really want that tutor's name on Friday, I'll just go full tilt all in on tutors, just hammer it. We'll see. I, so I haven't done anything nearly like this but it reminded me of something that I thought was funny. Hold on a second here. I'm trying to find, there was an old movie that did something really silly. Antitrust. Did you watch Antitrust back no. in the nineties? It looks like it was back in the nineties. I don't um, think so. If you're ever looking for something really funny to watch that has to do with technology and not quite as bad as the net, this, this was a couple of years after the net, uh, I think we were talking about that recently. Had you seen the net? 
No, I, I have you, you, you mentioned it because um, you saw uh, the symbol yeah. for Pi on something. Yeah, I saw the Pi symbol on, on a website I'm working on recently. <laughs> and that was in the net, which uh, just made me laugh that it was actually... Like, I got that reference. <laughs> and the fact that somebody else had the reference to actually put it in uh, was just really pretty pretty awesome. Anyway, in Antitrust, there was a, a, a ridiculous scene at the end where they are trying to beat the... beat some network thing where they were closing off IP addresses to satellites. But there were, like, seven satellites... And so they both were were going for the satellites in order. And then one of them said, oh, I should go from the other end. But they both did it at the same time because they were trying to beat. And anyway, as you're talking about getting these things in at just the right time and which order do you do them in and do you do five at once? Reminded me of that ridiculous scene. <laughs> and this is probably the closest thing in the real world I've ever seen to uh, that awesome movie. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how awesome my uh, cobbled together software is, but it's uh, like I say, it, just getting babysitters on Monday has made it worthwhile. I just feel like it's uh, opportunity missed, is just, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, hopefully you have uh, better luck through the rest of the week. Yeah, I hope so. We'll just have to see. So um, one of the uh, one of the things I'm doing on the new project is uh, playing a bit with Command Bus. Um, I think I, I mentioned to you at one point that I'd implemented the Command Bus with Eloquent and Laravel Jobs. Okay. And I sort of I sort of backed out of that a little bit. Um, I had a discussion with Ross Tuck about uh, what he wants to do for Tactician for the next version of Tactician. Um, and it kind of gave me a little bit of pause. And then I started to like backed out and realized that I didn't want to do it the way that I'd done it before anymore and decided to just use the current version of Tactician instead. Uh, but he had a, uh, it's a lengthy blog post on, I think it was him who, uh, his thoughts on asynchronous commands and whether commands should be asynchronous, which it was it was interesting because it goes into like the difference between CQS, CQRS, and command buses in general. Um, and I, I know that from our discussions in the past, you sort of have a hybrid approach. Um, some of your commands are fire and forget. Some of them actually have the capability of returning success or not. Like, where, where's your infrastructure at at this point? Um. Well, generally. It's the fire and forget is where I'm at. You know, I don't, um, there are like literally one or two cases where I offer the opportunity. I, I, I offer my, my infrastructure offers the opportunity to return values, nothing else. There's no, it expects to be able to serialize it. Uh, I think, um, mm-hmm. But I think I only use it in like three places where I really needed to get something going quickly. Um, mm-hmm. But the, I mean, the, most of the time, I don't really feel like I need it. The return, um, yeah. It's uh, I mean, it, it, I must admit, uh, like it, 
auto increment primary keys do make it more difficult, don't they? I think that's a classic yeah. thing when you're using something like Eloquent. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you know, I I assume you can use UUIDs with Eloquent just like you can um, auto increments, but auto increments are so nice sometimes compared uh, to using a UUID. UUID. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so most of the time I don't, I just try to avoid it, but I do have the option to do it if I so desire. Right. How about asynchronous? Are you doing asynchronous commands or are the commands all synchronous? Um, I do asynchronous commands. Um, most of them are asynchronous because I, I use it as a job queue mostly. You know, I don't do DDD or anything like that. Um, I It's always a choice at call time or at send time for me. So my command, I call it command gateway, has a choice of send, which goes asynchronously, or send and wait. And send and wait does exactly the same thing. It could go essentially asynchronously. It could go over the wire if you wanted to and just wait for it to return back over Mm -hmm. the wire somehow, but it doesn't. It happens in process uh, and obviously returns a response. Um, Sometimes I forget that the command like bus itself swallows the accept any exceptions. Um, so when I do, when I'm throwing a command synchronous purposely doing it synchronously because I want it to happen right now, mm-hmm. I quite often forget that I might want to check for an exception. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but uh, otherwise it works quite well for me, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that was the, the main thing I was when I reached out to Ross originally or initially to just see what his plans were for it. If he'd recommend anybody still use it, uh, he, like his comments were almost offhanded. It wasn't even like he was trying to like direct me or anything. It was just, mm. yeah, I, I have some ideas for it. Um, and just one of the little things he said was, and I'm thinking probably not allowing for asynchronous commands anymore. And that was enough to get me to start thinking, you know, really like dig into that a little bit more because um, that was something that I hadn't been, I it wasn't until last year that I really started to even get, get the time to work on using cues, like proper cues for things anyway. So in the past, all of my command handling and all of my event sourcing stuff was all synchronous and I didn't have the option to do async, um, and so I was excited to work with some async commands. Um, hadn't really considered whether I should or not, at least in the terms of commands. So um, it simplified my code base quite a bit to get rid of the asynchronous stuff. And I'm actually pretty happy with it now. And even with like Laravel, like origin, I think I remember which version of Laravel shipped with a command bus where Taylor was super excited about the command bus. Um, and then within a version or two, um, it wasn't commands anymore. It was jobs. Um, and I think looking at like, originally I was kind of annoyed with that and because I, I essentially wrote a command bus on top of the job queue. And uh, there was one job and that job was essentially a command, a serialized command. And then the consumer version of the command bus just took that job, deserialized it and figured out which command it was supposed to be. But it just seemed really super complicated. And I, I do like the idea of treating the queue and the job as 
something separate from the commands, if that makes sense, where like you could issue the command and if, if the command needs to happen, just make it happen. Um, and if the command handler, because of that command, decides that it needs to do something asynchronously, then it can fire off a job specifically uh, versus it being actually a part of the command handler. That simplified the process, at least internally for me, quite a bit. So I've been, I've been pretty happy with that. Uh, but I know that it was something that you and I had talked about at some point uh, over the last couple of years. And I was curious if you're, if I was remembering your setup correctly um, and if that had like changed any over time. Yeah, no, it's basically it's either asynchronous or synchronous based on the caller, what they want. If they want to wait, then it will happen completely synchronously in process, but it, it, that, that I suppose, like you said, that's up to the command bus. Yep. Uh, you know, they could still send it over a queue if they wanted to and just wait for a response. But at the minute, it happens in process. But the, the purpose is always there of what the calling code wants. If it wants to send the command and wait for it to finish, it can do. If it wants to just send the command and it doesn't care what happens next, mm-hmm. it can do as well. So. And I must admit, that's what I do most of the time. Um, and then some of that, I, come as to, I use some of the stuff just takes so long that you you're never going to want it to wait yeah. for it anyway, you know, uh, generating spreadsheets, generating reports, things like that. Um, I use it. It just tends to be a neat way of organizing code. It ends up for me, I, regardless of all the, the sort of like the stuff revolving around DDD and the use of the language and that kind of thing. It just, it's a nice way of organizing code. You know, quite often now I find myself for definitely for some things. Um, I sometimes do it instead of uh, console commands. Mm-hmm. Because depending on the kind of arguments the the commands will take, you know, if they don't, especially sometimes if the the they don't take any arguments at all, in which case I don't need to write a console command because I have a console command, you know, a Symfony console command yep. that sends a command command. If you like, you give it a class name and you can give it attributes arguments on the command line, mm-hmm. and all it does is shovel it onto the queue to to be processed. So. I can quickly, yeah. I don't have to write another, yet another console command to do the thing that I've already got a command for anyway. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it works great for me. And sometimes it's a bit difficult to see what's going on. I recently wrote some test instrumentation for it. And um, one of the things I have in my test is the ability to tell, particularly the, the HTTP framework to throw the next exception rather than turn it into a HTTP error response. Um, yeah. And I was missing that on the command queue. Um, mm-hmm. And so because when I'm running a test, the command queue is built to swallow exceptions. It reports them. It logs them in the dev environment or in live environment, it'll send them off to our exception tracker. But in test, it was difficult. It just happened in the background. You didn't really know what was going on. So, but um just adding some sort of instrumentation to it so I can tell it, you know, throw the next exception that happens when a command's handled or just, or just start logging directly to the uh, terminal rather than to a log file and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And I've added a few features like, um, I think Laravel probably supports it in one of the add-ons at Telescope or something, whatever they are. Um, but basically I can, I, a, a command can itself say, I'm a monitorable command and it'll get like it can tick, you know, so it'll tick to say how complete it is, uh, yeah. to pipe some data to, and that gets stashed on Redis. Uh, so I can see 
in real time what's going on with the command. Uh, particularly, we use it in the admin stuff. So particularly, we generate some big reports. Uh, just being able to see how far along that that report yeah. is is useful. Uh, stuff like mm-hmm. that. So yeah, I'm quite happy with it. Nice. Yeah, I've um, I've been hoping to be able to do some event sourcing e things with um, the current project, but honestly, I don't think that I can. Um, and I don't even know if I can, uh, I don't know if I'd feel comfortable across the board, like deploying it in this application. Um, I think there are a couple of places where I might still do so, but um, the one place that event sourcing really would help would be with auditing. And um, I've, I've tried to take the approach to doing command sourcing. I think it's called command sourcing um, in that all of the commands are being logged in the same way and actually a, a table that looks very similar to how you might implement a, mm-hmm. uh, an event store um, to uh, store all of that information that's being done. So you can see all of the things that are happening. You can do the same sort of uh, middleware to uh, like enrich metadata around that command so that you can see who did it, what time, from what IP address, all of these other things. Um, and I've been pretty happy with it. And just the whole bridge between, say, a rich domain language and eloquent, you know, flat database models. Um, I've been pretty happy with the way that the the command concept has sort of helped organize that. Like you were saying, that like it's a great way to organize code. Um, so what I've done is sort of done my traditional. Uh, DDD layout uh, where I have a model directory and then I have like a high level model, like say a user or client or whatever. Uh, but then I have the commands, the command handlers under there, but there's no actual model. Uh, the, the, the actual model is in app user, app client, app, whatever. Hmm. And what I've been trying to do, and if it works out really well, I think I'm going to try to ex- explore this even more. And I might do it on, uh, uh, an Astrocast project or something is anytime something writes to the model, it has to go through the commands. And it's going to have to be, there, there's no actual way. And I'm not trying to go into eloquent and make it so that you can't actually directly modify the objects. Um, so I guess it's by convention. I don't know how to enforce it. <laughs> I don't think I, I don't have a way to enforce it just yet, but so far I feel like I've been pretty successful in being able to still create like atomic um, intentional names for things um, because the commands themselves, I have decided to put the validation on the command itself. Um, It means that, for example, uh, import client has different validation rules than create client. They do essentially the same thing, but the, the rules for importing are much looser because they have to be, because the legacy data that it's that's coming in mm-hmm. um, might have a, a null field where that shouldn't have been null or had garbage data or whatever. Um, and then I also have, since I'm doing the command sourcing, um, I'm able to do a, a rich amount of audit logging built in. So I can see every command that came in. I can see when it came in. I can see all of the metadata. So I feel like I'm getting a bunch of the benefits that I would normally get from like a full CQRS event sourced system without having to do that. I'm able to do a lot of it uh, by 
putting this command bus in front of uh, the, the the eloquent Laravel ecosystem. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty excited to see how that turns out in the end. Mm, sounds good. Yeah. Well, I think we've been uh, we've been chatting for almost an hour now. So I th- it looks like it's getting pretty dark on your side. It's not dark here yet, but yeah, we better could... uh, finish things up. Yep. Cool. Did you have anything else you wanted to mention before we sign off? Uh, probably a few things, uh, but we can leave it for the next episode. Awesome. Sounds good. Let's call this one a wrap. You've been listening to that podcast with Bo and Dave. You can find Bo on Twitter and Google Plus at Bo Simonson and Dave on Twitter at Dave Development. You can subscribe to this podcast and review it on iTunes. If you'd like to review us but don't feel like we've earned five stars, email us so that we can talk about your issues. You can also subscribe to this podcast with RSS from our website, thatpodcast.io. From our website, you can also sign up for our newsletter to get super secret extra content from Bo and Dave sent directly to your inbox. Like the music? You can thank Gorillo for allowing us to sample the track Dust Kingdom for our intro and outro. You can find Dust Kingdom and other tracks by Grillo at grillo.bandcamp.com, spelled G-R-I-L-L-O. 